Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle. Welcome to another episode. I'm Dr. Ewan Lawson and in today's episode we've got the rather remarkable John Adams speaking to us. Uh, and John is the award-winning, award-winning, I should say, blogger from dadblogukcom Uh, And since 2011, he's been the main carer for his two daughters, a stay-at-home dad who runs the household, and his wife goes out to work, and he's written about it in all sorts of aspects and dimensions to his life. Um, As a father, um, doing that um, family and lifestyle thing, Um, and he writes about health and fitness, fatherhood, you know, even, um, you know, anything that's lifestyle related as well. Um, So this episode, I suppose it forms a nice pair with next week's episode as well. Uh, And that's going to be with Judy Chu, um, who is a researcher from America. And we talk a little bit about the early development of young men and boys and adolescents uh, and some of the um, research around uh, aspects we should consider as they kind of and their masculinity and their socialization and other things. And today's episode with John goes through a little bit more about that experience of um, a a very unique experience in terms of men's health and lifestyle, which is about being that um, about fatherhood and parenting. Um, So we get a chance to talk a little bit about physical fitness and his experience as a father. But we also um, go into the challenges of being a stay at home dad. And that leads into talk about social isolation um, and other things. Um, lots of different things there. Before I go any further, I should say many thanks for all your support of the blog. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful. I think this week I'll give a shout out for my newsletter. Please do sign up. Go to blokeology.io forward slash journal. And I send out, you know, a short email every couple of weeks with some evidence based tips and health and advice as well. And it gives me a chance to tell you a little bit about what is going on with the podcast and highlight useful episodes from the past or other evidence-based resources just in terms of health, fitness and lifestyle. Okay, so onwards with the episode today. Um, John and I also talk about sleep and exercise and alcohol. We range into all sorts of different areas. Um, I should also say we also talk about periods um, and uh, we were careful to point out at the beginning that we didn't want to get into a mansplaining situation with two chaps, two blokes talking about periods. But John has been involved with a charity called Hey Girls and the work they do to try to alleviate period poverty. And if you go back and look at his blog, he's got a really good post about a dad's guide to periods and we get into that topic as well. So um, the first thing I asked John to do was just tell us a little bit more about his lifestyle and dadblogukcom Okay, well, my life is sort of um, split uh, in two, really. I guess that, that could be said for many fathers. Um, the, the big difference for me is that I am the main carer for my children. It is actually my wife who goes and works full time and uh, brings in the lion's share uh, of the income. And we've had things working that way since 2011. Um, now that both of my children are at school, because I've got the two, uh, two daughters, I've got Helen, who is almost 10, and I've got uh, Izzy, who is six. Um, my blog over time has grown. Um, I've always made money from blogging. I mean, sort of start off with pocket money, really, but these days I have grown it into uh, a cottage industry. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I run dadbloguk.com as, as a business during, 
at school hours, so I'm having to be busy on all the social media channels, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and so on, while also uh, producing um, regular blog uh, regular blog posts that, that I post in the blog on a, on a whole range of subjects. Uh, and you know, there are ways that I, I monetize that to, uh, to to bring in some uh, some money for the family. Yeah, and you have an incredible range of uh, articles on the website. It's it's it encompasses the whole of life as a as a you know in terms of your role as a as the the main carer and fatherhood and health and well being and all sorts of different areas. Well, it it does, um, and I think that's part, that's partly a reflection of how long I've been writing the blog now. Uh, my sixth or seventh year. Uh, good grief, it'll be seven years in November. Um, and what I have noted, I can look over my shoulder now at stuff that I used to write, and I can see that the blog has changed, and the subjects I write about have changed, as I've been in different um, uh, phases of fatherhood. And I think everyone gets wrapped up in those early years when the children just need your help for absolutely everything but as the children get older and you sort of start to look and think oh hang on you know what for the first three years of my kid's life I never actually went running or went cycling or doing anything because I couldn't mm. so that's opened up avenues for me to sort of explore health and fitness and I'm aware that I maybe wasn't leading the healthiest physically the physical you know aspects of life so I've, I've been able to sort of go into that and look at you know health and and fitness and i think that there's much better awareness of mental health now as well so i uh, I, I kind of do write about that and uh, as well as other stuff you know, like cooking with the kids um the experiences i have as a father you know and then there's also as i say it's monetized things that i do such as product reviews or you know all, all that type of thing so yes it, it, it does cover quite a few subjects yeah let, let me let me ask if i may a little bit about that sort of health and fitness side of things because i think that's something we here at Blokeology have covered a little bit. And um, though I'm interested in the, the mental health aspects, I think, are really important um, as well. And I'll certainly maybe circle back to that. But uh, my experience is, and my kids are a little bit older now, my youngest, I've got three, and my youngest is now coming up on 12. So it's been a little while. But those early years were a real wasteland of trying to get exercise. And, you know, just, and I had read, I had reasonably good attitudes to exercise. I had good attitudes to exercise back in those days. I struggled enormously to get the exercise, and I'm interested in your experience of that as well. Um, well, that is exactly my story, really. Um, I struggled to, to find the time to get exercise, and but I, you know, I'm, my, my wife will tell you I've got an amazing metabolism, and to be honest, if you were to see my mother and my natural father, I think you'd, you'd probably say, yeah, actually, you. you yeah, John, you were blessed with two parents there who <laughs> are naturally very slim. Um, but, uh, you know, there's no point pretending otherwise. I'm in my 40s now. I'm, I'm, I am getting older. Um, I think, you know, once you get out of your 30s, you begin to realise that actually you're not immortal. Uh, and, you know, I've had no particular health problems, but I just appreciated that I, I possibly wasn't as fit and healthy as I used to be. Um, now, I used to be quite a keen runner. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, I have had to stop running, um, basically, because I, I, I jumped off a wall when I was about 15, and I tore all the ligaments in my right ankle, 
Um, and my ankle has never quite been the same since. Uh, and I, about six years ago, I did actually end up having surgery on it. Um, but I found again, you know, the, the ankle swelling up and, and so on. I had issues with it running. So I've, I've had to amend my exercise regime. So at the moment, I am using a recumbent exercise bike. Uh, I am using an exercise rig uh, in our garage. Um, and I have to say that the, using the, the exercise rig, my, my upper body just looks completely different now. I mean, I, I ha- a couple of months ago, I used to joke out a four-pack. That has now come on to a six-pack. <laughs> um, the recumbent exercise bike just enables me to, you know, just get my heart rate up. But then I do also... I've increasingly started uh, all my my ten year old one hundred pound Belmont you know hybrid bike out of retirement, and I've been taking that around um, uh, the neighbourhood, um, and I have just noticed the benefits of really getting my heart pumping. And, and the other thing, I, I was asked to do a, a campaign uh, with a company called Bed Guru that had me keeping a sort of sleep monitor. Um, how well I was sleeping. And what I discovered was if I did 15 minutes of exercise in a day, I slept a bit better. If I did an half an hour's worth of exercise in a day, I can probably add an additional hour's sleep uh, onto what I got every night. So by working on that campaign, I discovered that if you exercise, you do improve. You know, not only, you know, your, your levels of fitness, but the quality of sleep that you're getting. Yeah. Um, which I was really surprised at that. I mean, it did have a, a, a massive impact on my approach um, to exercise. And I've sort of stuck with it ever since. But that's an awfully long answer, you and I do. No, and but that's fine. I've, I've, I've scribbled a couple of little notes because I wanted to ask you about sleep as well. So I'm, I'm going to jump back to the running for a second, but I definitely want to come back to that sleep aspect as well because I thought that was – your blog post on that and your experience of that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm aware that we talk, I talk quite a lot about running on the podcast because I'm into running and I've spoken to a few runners about various bits and pieces, but it's, um, gosh, it, I, but I have to accept the fact that we have to find other ways to exercise as well. And I hope that people, when I talk about running, people understand that sometimes it's about more about movement and finding the exercise that works for you because it sounded like you had a, you had a bad run with your ankle and you just sometimes it's just, I mean, it sounds like you've probably got a, you know, to speculate carefully, but they've almost got some osteoarthritis in that ankle that's clearly just not going away, going to go away very quickly. And that's tremendously difficult. But you um, you wrote a post about your experience on the recumbent bicycle, didn't you? And um, how much how that had worked for you? Yes, I did. Um, yes, I, I was getting a. I, I've had to. Yeah, I did write the that exercise at that time. I was, oh gosh, I mean, I was whacking the recumbent exercise bike right up to get the maximum level uh, of resistance. And at the time I wrote the blog post, all was good, uh, but I was doing it, I was doing it a little bit too regularly and it did actually begin to irritate my ankle. So I've had to uh-huh. work that right back down again. Um, it's a usual thing. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. Uh, and you, you're right in what you say. You have to find the exercise um, that works for you. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, when I was at school, uh, I was a really keen runner. Um, even after I'd 
you know, injured the ankle. I mean, I was part of the cross-country running team around county level and so on at school and, and really enjoyed it. And, and to have to give running up was um, a bit of a bummer, to use a technical phrase. But, uh, I mean, I was out in Canada the week in a, a hotel with a, a gym in it. Uh, and I was just making use of all the, the, the equipment there, actually. The bit I've actually really fallen in love with is a rowing machine. Right. So I now is to get a rowing machine. Mm. That is a form of exercise that I know I could do. It wouldn't involve irritating my ankle, but would really get the heart rate up and, you know, really go over. I mean, the thing I wanted actually was a spin cycle, but uh, as I say, I think, I think the spin cycle is going to cause me um, issues in the ankle again. So. Yeah, it's, you, you don't really, I guess you don't immediately think of it, but you, you, there's a certain amount of flexing does go on at the ankle, isn't there, with cycling as you're going around. Particularly, I, I'm not sure if it'd be worse than a recumbent or a sitting up, but I think rowing, you're going to be pretty static, aren't you, with that? It's not going to move too much at all. Um, and yeah, for, I mean, you, you mentioned osteoarthritis. I don't know if that's actually the problem, but w- yeah. when I had surgery on the ankle, what they were actually removing were bone spurs. Yeah. I've got my facts straight here. Uh, they were sort of trapping the tendon, so they were removed. And I, I have a funny feeling the bone spurs are back. Right. Uh, and while I was told, you know, it would only take a week or two for me to recover from that surgery. I mean, to be honest, I was sort of out of action for about six weeks, um, and it was phenomenally painful, actually. So who knows? Maybe at some point I have to go into the knife again. But um, if I can, if I can adjust my life and still get the the, the appropriate levels of exercise, I think I may just have to live with it. Yeah, it's interesting because I was never much of a runner at school, and um, you're you're obviously were a phenomenal runner. So I've come to it the other way around, much later on in my life than than certainly uh, in those younger years. Uh, in the rowing, I mean, I think rowing's a fantastic exercise. I I my I mean things like the concept two row, uh, they're just they're just fantastic, aren't they? I think in terms of I remember a long when I was in the army, we spent I spent six months in Bosnia, <laughs> um, sitting in a kind of a warehouse, um, not doing very much, and then one of the few things we had was a rowing machine. Uh, in terms of getting cardiovascular exercise, so I'm feeling I feel mildly scarred at the prospect of getting on a concept two rower again. <laughs> and my, my wife rode at university and as would uh, would would axe murder me before she let her concept two back in the house again. I think after her has been scarred by the experience, but I do still jump on them, particularly when I'm going to do some um, when I've had when I've had membership of gyms and other things, even for five or ten minutes just to warm up, particularly the upper body. And you mentioned there about your exercise rig and. I've talked a little bit about strength training on the podcast before, particularly more for runners. But um, mm-hmm. what, what do you mean by an exercise rig? What does that involve? Oh, it, uh, it's a it, it's a frame. Um, so you can do uh, you know chin ups, pull ups. You can do mm. squats on it. Um, it's uh, it, it's a great um, bit of kit actually. I, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm actually a, a member of the decathlon bloggers community as well. So um, I occasionally you know, get to try out this, this kind of equipment and it's just perfect. Well, it's about two meters tall um, and about, um, you know, a meter wide and a meter deep. So it fits perfectly in a garage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it's just a great, um, and when I first got it uh, and I was doing, uh, chin-ups i couldn't even do five um with with a resistance band to help me but you know i'm i'm now they're considerably better than that and i you know i go on it most days uh and as i say it's worked my my upper body it's, it's much more toned and actually 
Not that I've struggled to get my old shirts on, but they certainly feel a bit tighter at the top of the shoulder now. <laughs> uh, strength training is something that I kind of I want to talk more about in the blog and uh, on the podcast in the future because I think it's much neglected, and particularly when you get into your thirties and your forties, the um, you know we all deteriorate in terms of strength, but it's completely, it's almost entirely. Um, recoverable and reversible by actually just doing some strength training and mm. um, if you're anything like myself the fact that I've never done any strength training in the past means that actually I'm probably going to end up stronger than I was in my 20s because I'm actually now doing some proper resistance training that I'd never done in the past. You, you may very well end up stronger than you were in your 20s I mean I know when I was in my 20s uh, I know um, uh, I, I mean I, I, I successfully followed a, a number of dead-end jobs in my early 20s <laughs> A lot of them sort of involved a lot of humping and bumping. And yeah, I sort of got to my late 30s, early 40s and sort of looked at photographs of when I was in my late teens, early 20s and was doing a lot of that kind of work. And wow, you know, I looked at my upper body then and looked at what it had become. And not that I was, you know, a, a, not that I was Homer Simpson. I mean, I get the wrong idea, but I, I could, I'd lost so much muscle tone. Mm. Uh, and anyway, as I say, yeah, a few. Well, God, when did I get that rig? Last September, October. Um, so not long, really. Not not long. And in that time, um, yeah, it worked wonders for me. I really enjoy using it, actually. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's just that's just such a result, isn't it? If you get something that you exercise you like doing. So let me ask you a little bit more about fatherhood. Um, John, I'm particularly interested yeah. in. You obviously have been you've been there for your kids since they were very little. That sort of babies and nappies stage. What, yeah. what I wanted to really ask about was kind of you've spoken quite a lot about this about the kind of society attitudes towards it. Yeah, and I was interested in, you know, what have been what have been some of the difficulties, the challenges of being a you know being a man in that kind of what has been unquestionably regarded as a female role. Um, and yeah. probably still is regarded as a female role, though I'm, I'm hoping that there's, you, we, you might suggest there are some shifts in attitudes. What have been the major challenges for you? Uh, well, I'll just start by saying that there are definitely some shifts in challenges. Um, people don't seem to be quite so phased by meeting people such as myself anymore, and people in my position. It doesn't, doesn't create, create quite the conversation that it once did. Um, uh, and also, I mean, back in 2015, the UK introduced shared parental leave. So mums and dads can now share 50 weeks of parental leave. They can either sort of have six months each or, um, you know, what, what tends to happen is if, if parents do take it, is a dad tends to take two or three months and the mum takes the remainder. But I, I won't go into the complicated reasons for that. They're, they're all, we, we'd have to do another episode of the podcast, frankly. Let's just leave it that the UK didn't introduce shared parental leave in a particularly good way. Mm. Um, and that has led to, you know, low numbers of couples taking shared parental leave. It still tends to be the mum takes the lion's share of the leave. But shared parental leave has given a created a focal point. And when people discuss fatherhood now, that has created a catalyst. It's a, it's a, that's something that people focus on and, it, and people talk about it. Uh, you know, policymakers talk about it. Charities talk about it. Politicians talk about it. It seems to be this acceptance now that dads um, are actually wanting or can play a role uh, in the very earliest days of their child's lives. But as for the actual challenges are faced, um, 
it's very interesting because obviously you've got different phases of fatherhood and I think my biggest challenges were definitely in the earliest days. That is definitely the period when people seem to be most um, suspicious about a man's abilities to care for his uh, young children. Um, I have a bit of a theory about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what tends to happen is you've got uh, groups like NCT and Parent Craft. Obviously, the mums and dads go along to that and they have social events, but they tend to focus on the women and men do kind of partake in a sort of, you know, once every three months they might do an event that dads come along to. But they don't really form proper social networks. They're not socialising all the time. So the women are always socialising with each other. They then socialise with each other after the babies are born. They're very often taking their their shared parental leave. Um, uh, yeah, because in most relationships, it is generally the woman who, who you know, takes some time off or at least goes part-time off and arrive on a child. So the women are then socialising with each other at nursery and so on and then at the school gates. And if you are, you know, if you're a dad like me, having to parachute into these very tightly knit female-only social groups can be difficult. Mm. Um yeah, and I mean, I've spoken to mums more times than I can remember who say, oh, yes, no, there is this stay-at-home dad who comes to our nursery or school or, you know, NCT group. But, um, you know, I always ask the mums around for coffee, but I just don't think to ask him. Mm. I think part of it is, you know, as I say, mums just tell me they just forget. Uh, uh, and part of it is also there's sort of, you've got the potential... Oh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, perception of impropriety. You know, yeah. can a man go up to a woman he doesn't know that well and say, you know, your Johnny gets on very well with my, you know, Bill, whatever their kid's name is. Would you like to come around for coffee at the kids play? Yeah, that, that doesn't, doesn't happen very much, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think the, the saddest thing for me has been that not so much once my kids got well and truly settled into school, but I know that they have missed out on the opportunity to socialise because mums socialise with other mums and so their kids socialise with each other. Yeah. But me as a dad, I've been on the outside of all those circles uh, and you hear uh, mums talking about having their mum network or their mum friends so you know they can phone their, their friend up to collect their kids from school if they can't get there for some reason. I, I, I don't have that. I mean, I, I was asked a while ago to take part in a, a, a social media campaign about um, what was it? We are a village or something it was called. Uh, but how we're an online parent community supporting each other. And I had to go back to the organiser and say, that's all very well and good but you know, I, I, I'm not really a village. I'm more of a hamlet without running water and electricity. Um, <laughs> that is sort of how I describe myself really. Uh, and it, yeah. so it sounds like it sounds like that could have been quite socially isolating for yourself. Um, yes, I mean, uh, and I don't want to uh, give the wrong idea. Mums experience social isolation. There's no question. I mean, I, yes, I, of I, course. I, I know mums who, you know, struggle with it massively. Um, I, I, I won't say too much more. I'll end up, you know, identifying people. Um, uh, but it, it, it is a huge issue. Um, and I also would, would say that it's not 
you know, dads are just one group who maybe get isolated. I, I often, if I, if I, you know, this is purely based on anecdotal evidence, but if I look around the playground at the parents who don't speak English as a first language and that type of thing, I, I think they are also at risk of sort of being more socially isolated than, than a lot of parents. So I think, um, yeah, it's not just dads that experience this, but I think we are one of the groups uh, that that do. Uh, and and I mean, look, to put it succinctly, because I know I've given you yet another really long answer, social networks, you know, they are few and far between for men who are in my position. And there are many more social networks, formal and informal, that support women. Yeah. No, I like long answers, John. I'm very happy with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a chance, it's a bit of a chance to explore them, isn't it? And I think, I mean, one of the, you know, social isolation and loneliness is a problem of our time anyway, I think. And particularly, we're, it was being first identified in older communities, older people. But increasingly, I think we're seeing it in um, younger people. And there's a whole kind of discussion around how social media plays into that in our communities and other things. But fatherhood and parenthood whether it's mothers or fathers, but particularly fatherhood, I think in the circumstances we're discussing, that's perhaps another little, just another little thing that could push you away and from normal, you know, normal contact. And it, I, my experience of this is when my kids were little and we had three under three at one point is that you are just, it's very hard to be sociable and socialize anyway, because you're just three, nine parts exhausted. Um, a lot of the time. Uh, and, um, it's, if there's a kind of a gender, if the if some of the social networks are gendered in one way or the other, then it makes it less likely as well that fathers who could have have got a lot to offer and are a really important part of bringing up children are going to get less involved at these earlier stages. There's less, it, it, you know, it's going to be harder to get them doing that. Uh, it, it it absolutely is, um, and it, the interesting thing is you you mentioned that I actually used to work for. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, but the charity Age Concern England, uh, they've merged with, uh, with Help the Aged in, in the end. Mm. But, um, th- there was one bit of research Age Concern England did into older men that always stuck with me. And this is something I think you see with a lot of couples, um, especially those that have children, where, and I think it goes somewhere to, to, to how we are socialized. Once married, men, basically hand the family social calendar over to their spouse mm. and their spouse takes care of making all social arrangements. And what can happen is if a man's wife dies first, um, he then ends up being completely uh, socially isolated, mm. which when I thought about it, I, you know, there are so many couples I know of, and actually being a dad, trying to arrange to meet other dads, as a little challenge for your readers, uh, your sorry, your listeners to think about this. How many times do dads say to dad friends, and they're right, can we meet up, or do you fancy meeting up? And they'll say, their response will be, oh, I need to speak to my wife about that. She deals with all those types of things. I think men, in particular dads, have to think about this. For their own futures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is fascinating that whole mental health aspect. So one of the things that I think compounds that, and we it's just to circle back to something you said at the very start, is that 
gosh, it's very hard. It's very hard on your mental health if you're not getting enough sleep. That is is such a factor. So I just wanted to come back briefly to that, um, the work you did and the study you did looking at, you know, your little personal experiment looking into your sleep yeah. um, and how it affected you. Um, yes. Overall, what was your, what were the main lessons you took from that? Uh, right. Okay. Well, um, these days, if it's an evening when I'm drinking alcohol, um, I don't drink anything an hour before going to bed because I've definitely noticed that disturbs my sleep. Um, I try and get at least half an hour's worth of exercise a day. Uh, that has the biggest impact actually on, mm. uh, on, on sleeping. Um, and something I always did anyway, I would just reiterate it for your listeners benefit is uh, to stick away from screens. Um, I mean, I, I, I used to read books on, on an iPad, but I had to stop. I'm mean, going back a few years now because I just couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. The blue light replicates the sun that keeps you awake. Um, and also, um, oddly, this thing I didn't appreciate, but staying properly hydrated um, actually has an impact on your sleep as well. So um, pay more attention to that. Uh, it can be difficult if you've got young children. I mean, I, we were quite lucky, actually. Our children have always slept reasonably well. Not that, you know, they've had their moments. They're, they're, they're yeah. being things have been disturbed but um yes i think yeah it is important to try and uh, try and sleep but yeah main things 30 minutes of exercise a day stay hydrated stay away from screens before bed and don't drink any alcohol at least an hour before going to bed yeah i think they're kind of really good uh, and so easy to get wrong as well i mean i kind of i I don't know about you you go into some detail in your blog post about how much sleep you're getting and you're you were suggesting that there were times when you're often an hour or two down um and there isn't a right number i don't think um, for sleep I, i'm aware that i prioritize sleep just about above anything else these days um so i'm often pushing out eight nine hours a night H- how did you feel on those days how did you uh, one thing i'd be interested how did you feel on the days where you got a bit more sleep the day after or a couple of days after compared to those days did you notice the difference with that um gosh that's a really interesting question i i didn't really pay attention to it uh not not to that to be you know how i felt two or three days later but um I mean, today, for instance, I, I, I'm feeling much more refreshed today because I got, um, uh, yeah, it probably was coming off as a bit of eight or nine hours sleep. I mean, I, I sort of average about seven hours, mm-hmm. uh, maybe seven and a half. Um, but today I'm feeling, you know, quite, you know, very, very good on, on the, but I think, I think the real, excuse me, the, the, the real test actually is how you feel in the morning immediately when you wake up you know if you've had a bad night's sleep you just sets you up for the rest of the day badly really i think yeah. uh, a, a good night's sleep will, will work out but now you've asked that question i'm going to keep a really close eye on that because it's something they say about children isn't it you know if they have a late night they'll be fine the next day but it's the day after <laughs> it comes home to roost. Yeah, I've never, I've never quantified. I, I, I notice it when I don't get enough sleep that I'm often. It's not even the the next day, or you know, this, when you do get a good night, it often takes two nights to recover. And I've yeah. certain, to some extent, I've put that down to age. But I suspect, I wonder if it's always been there that there's that kind of knock on effect. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess it's, I, I guess it would be my medical advice. Not that I offer medical advice, of course, on a podcast. But um, is that it's not so much about the numbers, is it? In sleep, it's it's about the qualitative how you feel the next day. And what I notice yeah. is if I don't get enough sleep, that all my good behaviours about eating healthily, not eating junk, and doing enough exercise go out the window. 
I suddenly my motivation drains away to zero and I just it becomes a very quickly becomes a vicious circle when I don't get enough sleep. Um, I think they are without doubt linked. You know, if 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 it happens to be that I'm having a particularly fraught time with my work and that happens to coincide with a particularly busy week uh, dealing with the kids, you know, maybe they've got after school activities every day or something like that, then uh, yeah, any pretense of actually staying fit and, and, and so on. And, it, and it's all too easy at that point, you know, once the kids are in bed to go, oh, wow, I could do with a drink. And then one drink becomes three. And then before you know it, you're going to bed. <laughs> and, and yeah, you then end up having, yeah. So yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's, um, you have, I wouldn't, uh, effort isn't the word I would say, but I think you need to be conscious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's some really interesting stuff around these days with wearable technology and smartwatches and things. And um, you just uh, dipping into that occasionally is interesting. I don't like doing it all the time because, I, you know, you start to obsess about the digital aspects of things rather than just uh, enjoying life. But um, I think you can learn a lot just by being a bit more conscious about what you're doing and how you're feeling the next day and trying to piece it together. But I guess the main thing I would always warn people about is that the natural human reaction is to link stuff very quickly. Like we have this obsession with linking events. Mm-hmm. um and you know you have a flu vaccine and you get a cold the next day and the flu vaccine will be to blame for that yeah. that kind of that's the natural human reaction so i guess we've got to be a wee bit careful about that kind of um thing but uh, you well i mean as i say i i prioritize sleep above all else because i think it just feeds into a really positive cycle that i start doing the good things which then actually make me more likely to sleep better and before you know it it's all going great yeah yeah no, I'm, I'm with you on that and yeah it's about feeling good as well isn't it i mean it's a phrase i'm not hugely fond of but it's mindfulness isn't it? wellness it's being um yeah i've certainly I've, I've certainly seen some pushback about the phrase well-being which can be a bit wishy-washy to the extent of being absolutely meaningless the only yeah. thing i'd say about mindfulness is that there are you know when you talk about being there's a bit of a tendency to talk about mindfulness in general um, yeah. as a kind of a vague concept but the um if you look at things like which are specific mindfulness-based interventions like specific um you know specific in things you can do there's some really good evidence emerging about how good they were and like five or ten years ago they were perhaps regarded as still being a bit wishy-washy but the evidence for those kind of things is really good but you've got to be a bit careful that because people mix up mindfulness as a general concept with kind of well-being and then you can very soon get into all sorts of nebulous nothingness yeah Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about was one of the most recent posts on your podcast, which is um, it's a really interesting topic. And it's, it's slightly a random aside was to talk about periods. Um, yeah. And, and the reason I wanted to talk about it was not because there's a real risk that two blokes talking about periods degenerates very quickly into a mansplaining um episode which is not where we want to go but what i really liked about it was you should tell us a bit more about what you're doing was because it was more about raising awareness wasn't it uh yes it is well there's um it, it were it's a gosh, a campaign that's been organized by a social enterprise uh called hey girls um now they're based in scotland and they've been established to uh, help alleviate period poverty so uh, and I should should add, you know, what in this day of heavier, you know, advertising regulation, this is not a campaign I was paid to take part in. It's a social enterprise. I did it because um, I, I, I like the campaign, what they're trying to achieve. Um, uh, the So every Hey Girls product you buy, uh, uh, a, an identical product will be given to someone who is experiencing period poverty. 
Okay, so that's the background to Hey Girls. Hey Girls did a bit of research. Uh, they did, did a survey, 1,500 men, uh, and discovered that 41% of fathers were not um, confident talking to their children about periods. And I haven't got the in front of me. I can't remember if that was sons and daughters or just daughters, but I think the lovely thing about the campaign is that it has encompassed speaking to sons about yeah. periods as well as daughters. Um, to, um, uh, the, on the Hey Girls website, which I remember correctly, heygirls.co.uk, uh, uh, or to you can, you can, uh, you'll find it on my, uh, my blog as well. Um, or you'll find links to it anyway. There is a dad's guide to periods and it's got some great information in there about, uh, you know, obviously what periods are, the, the various, um, sanitary products that, that, uh, girls and women can use. And they've just got tips for how you should talk to periods to your daughters, how you should speak about periods to your sons. Uh, and also, you know, a bit more advice to, to when you should maybe consider consulting a doctor if you've got concerns about your daughter. Um, so no, I don't want to go down the mansplaining route uh, <laughs> either. It, 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 you know, the, and the reason they produced this guide is because they identified that men don't feel always feel confident talking to their daughters about it. They just wanted to give them something um, to empower them and enable them. Uh, to do it and I've been talking to my kids about periods since they were very young I've got no problem with it and I actually also think that men sometimes and I can hear the sound of ice cracking between my feet here uh, because men don't have periods men aren't necessarily raised to think of them as taboo whereas I think a lot of girls do get that when they're being brought up you know that it's something dirty they shouldn't really talk about at the dinner table Whereas guys can, can come to it with a completely fresh perspective. They may not be the most knowledgeable, which is where, you know, the dad's guide to period is probably very useful. Um, yeah. There's no reason why men shouldn't speak to their children about periods. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a great, I think it's a great campaign. And I, I thought it was fabulous that you were supporting it and putting it out there. And, you know, there are, there is period poverty. There is stigma around it in all sorts of ways. And it shouldn't exist. And if we're going to get over it, then men have got to be able to have conversations about it and be part of the conversation. And clearly, we're not setting ourselves up as the authorities. We um we lack that practical experience, but we've got to be able to have conversations. If it just gets, you know, and we're probably for most men coming coming from a position of stone cold ignorance. So you know, they're actually, you know, they're relatively a lot of blokes might well be blank slates in that regard as you suggest that actually we might not have there may not be too much in the way of preconceptions there i don't know in terms of what the evidence shows but it'd be nice to think we could do something about it you're absolutely right and um let's expand that to, to breastfeeding and the vaccination debate yes or male voices in, in both of them yeah uh, and i think both those discussions would benefit from male voices so there's my clarion call to all your male listeners. Don't be afraid to speak up about breastfeeding and the anti-vaxxing debate. Yeah. <laughs> your voice is heard and about periods. So the, the final thing I should ask you, John, is because I realise you've got to go in a couple of minutes, is, you know, in terms of fatherhood, and this is a massive question, which I'm going to give you about two minutes to answer, is what, what would you, if you had a magic wand and when it came to fatherhood, what are, the, are one or two of the things you'd like to see done differently? 
Um, I would like to see um, social networks that were inclusive of uh, men, uh, and I would like to see. Um, and this isn't the university. I'm not sort of pointing a finger at, at, at women, saying you're getting this wrong. But you know, the, the issue can be with some mums actually accepting a man in the main caregiving position, and I think ultimately. That has to change. I would, oh, hang on. Let, let me just paraphrase that in a really sort of simple sentence is that women are not going to get experience true equality in the workplace until men experience true equality on the domestic front. Um, and I think we need, you know, that involves both men and women to change their, their perceptions. And, and I would really just like to get the message out there that you know, men are perfectly capable um, of, of being very good caregivers. And I would like to see the perception changed so that people don't simply assume that uh, women must look after children, especially in the early years, because men can do a job that's just as good. Or I like to joke about it. I like to say that men can actually do a job just as bad as any woman. <laughs> um, that's great, John. John, tell us a little bit more about where you've mentioned already, but just reiterate, where can we find you online and what you're up to? Uh, yes, you will find my blog um, at dadbloguk.com. Um, you'll find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at, at dadbloguk. Uh, Pinterest, pinterest.co.uk forward slash dadbloguk. Um, uh, oh, same with Facebook. I'm facebook.com dadbloguk. Uh, YouTube is slightly different. On YouTube, I'm youtube.com forward slash John Adams DB UK. Um, and yes, those, those are all my uh, my main channels. Um, it's been great uh, to be here with the Brokeology um, podcast. So thanks for having me on. John, thank you very much. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blokeology.io. Uh, you can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blokeology at www.blokeology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels, all of which can be found at blokeology.io. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.